I remember seeing the car pull up and my mum and dad get out and I screamed, Mike, and I just ran. From the team behind Stylist, this is Nobody Told Me. Stories of life, love, grief, success and failure and the lessons learned by the women who survived to tell the tale. I'm your host, Lisa Smazarski, Editor-in-Chief of Stylist. In today's episode, we are joined by Lucy Wyndham-Reed. She's a fitness influencer, YouTuber and the mastermind of a seven-minute workout program, a democratic way of working out. Her mission is to make fitness accessible to everyone. On the face of it, Lucy looks like she has it all. But her journey to fitness and YouTube success has been a long, often painful one. This is Lucy's story in her own words. Hi, I'm Lucy Wyndham-Reed and nobody told me cats would save my life. We lived out in the middle of nowhere. We rented a little cottage on a farmland, so I'd have to walk down the end of our drive. And when I'd get on the coach that then took us to school, they'd all sing uh, fish eyes and call me pale face. And you know, it's funny because really, I could have been called a lot worse things. It was the secondary school was where the bullying, you know, and the physical bullying became harder. I think for me, one of the worst ones was being on a school trip away and there were two girls in the school that were the popular kids and one of them in the dormitories held my shoulders back, called everyone over and the other one punched me in the face and broke my nose in front of everyone. School for me was a time when I really struggled with bullying, with lack of confidence. I hated sports, I hated doing games. The teachers would always pick the two most popular people and then they would get to choose their team and I would always be the last one stood there. I would find it so frustrating because inside I wanted to be that popular girl, I wanted to be confident, but with bullying it stopped me feeling like that and it just made me kind of like hide away and stand further back. We'd recently just moved from where I'd been brought up in the countryside, we moved to a town called Red Hill and there was a after school club which was army cadets and they would sort of teach you just sort of fun basic things that you would do in the army and I found this a really good way to help build my own kind of strength up. That's where I first set eyes on Mike. He was just the most sweetest, kindest, caring soul. He had the most amazing piercing blue eyes. He was funny, he was cheeky, he was caring. We just became closer and closer and we then became inseparable. He made me feel super special. He made me feel like I could be a stronger person. I left school, then I went to go to college. But whilst I was doing it, I just knew that I needed to really challenge myself. And the ultimate challenge was I needed to go and join the army. I wanted to become this strong, fit, confident woman that I knew I could be. 
And the only way I could do that was I had to throw myself in the deep end. And I remember going home that day and telling my parents, I'm going to go and join the army. And so my dad is a folk singer. My mum is an artist. So they're quite bohemian background and their faces, I'll never forget them. But, you know, they were like, if it's what you want to do, we'll support you. I would set my alarm, get up early in the morning, go out and do a very little run because I still wasn't really super fit, but I'd started like trying to learn to run and to get up early in the morning. So I was trying to prepare myself for a strict regime. When it came to joining, I'll never forget the day. It was like a beautiful summer's day and I had to catch the train from Redhill Station to Aldershot and I had a long flowery dress on, little wheelie suitcase. And as my train pulled in from the south, a train pulled in from the north and off stepped probably about 30 girls, all short haircuts, tattoos, big rucksacks. I did not look like I fitted in, but I met the most incredible people on that day. I was given an option for the two years I could be a nursing assistant or I could train to do dental nursing. So I actually decided that I wanted to start learning a skill and I then qualified as a dental nurse. So that was my job whilst I was in the army. I did find it interesting at the time, but then what I started to love more was the fitness. I realised then that actually I was worth picking as number one for those sports that I hadn't done at school because then I realised I could run, I was able to do push-ups, I was good at sports. It made me feel confident, it made me feel strong, it helped reduce anxiety. So my boyfriend, Mike, he joined the army. I think it was just over a year before I did. We must have been together at that point, I think about four and a half years. We didn't actually really see each other that much because he was always posted abroad. He was in Belize a lot and then he was in Northern Ireland. So we would be lucky if we saw each other every six weeks, but we would always write to each other. They were those typical airmail letters, you know, the ones where you get the blue and it's so it's the envelope is the letter. Um, there would just be lots of love you. Um, they would be very sweet letters. So it was 20th of August 1992 and it was a Thursday. And I remember that day I'd got the afternoon off from doing dental nursing and I went and got some nice bits of food and then I was going over to see a friend of mine who was a nurse in the army and she was posted at um, some different barracks near Reading and I remember just standing in Marks and Spencer's buying the food and then they had clothing and I remember just going and looking at clothing and thinking because Mike was due to come back I was thinking once I get paid I'm going to treat myself I'm going to come back and buy that and um, had a lovely time with my friend and I ended up staying there Whereas normally I would be back at my barracks at order shot. And I remember at two in the morning, there was a knock on the door and it was um, one of the corporals saying, we need you to come over to the guard room. 
And I was just like, oh my goodness, what's happened? Have I parked illegally? I was like, I had no idea. So as I went over, I just said, oh, I just want to check. There hasn't been a bomb in Ireland, has there? And he said to me, no. And I said, oh, phew, because my fiance's posted in Ireland. I was just worried. And um, he'd been given strict instructions, all of them, that they were not allowed to tell me what had happened. So I remember being in the the guard room and then I was thinking in my head, I'm thinking, oh my God, what what has happened? Is it my granddad? Is it my mum? Is it my sister? Is it my dad? And I remember seeing the car pull up and my mum and dad get out and they didn't say anything. And I just looked at them and I screamed, Mike. And I just ran. It's so weird. It's like I just knew it was him. It was the most bizarre thing and I just remember two in the morning whatever time it was I just couldn't stop running. They did a discharge they gave me two weeks and I just remember that that just feeling completely and utterly numb. For me, what was really hard was after two weeks of having compassionate leave was then going back to work. I was so scared because it meant I had to go back to the barracks, be on my own, and I just wanted to stay at home. I didn't want to go back, but of course I was in contract with the army. There was nothing I could do. And that first day going back in, I remember um, the colonel, who was a dentist, um, called me up to his office and he said... You're now back at work, so you get on your personal life. You don't bring it into work. And I always just remember thinking, you know, my boyfriend, my fiancé, was shot in the head. He was killed. I know we have to be tough in the army, but a little bit of compassion goes a long way. The first two weeks of compassionate leave, you're so numb that actually where the pain, the grief really kicks in is kind of after that's when I really then turned to my fitness to really help me through that period. Any time I thought about Mike, it would like break my heart. So it was like the, the fitness was my distraction. But then the hardest thing was the sergeant had deliberately left out Mike's dental records. And he said, you need to deal with this. This soldier is now deceased. It was something that he could equally have done. And I think that was just like, I need to leave the army now. And it was like, right, I want to come out of the army and I want to learn about fitness. I want to teach fitness. I want to reach out to those people that don't feel confident. I want to make them confident. I want to make them feel good. I want to show people how fitness can help with so many different things. I think it was probably about three or four years after Mike had passed away I then dated a couple of times but it was just you know I sort of really felt that I'd lost my soulmate and I was never ever going to find anyone else and I was always so scared and even to this day now I'm still terrified of loss so for me commitment is something that I get very very scared of I also had a relationship with someone who was uh, physically and mentally abusive and that was really hard. That was again going back to experiencing bullying 
So then after that, I met a new guy and this man was very kind, caring, and that was sort of what I needed to take me out of what had been a very bad relationship. I remember on one day he'd organised a surprise and I literally had no idea where we were going and we got in a car and we drove to this beautiful country house and I remember this woman opened the door and there she had wrapped in a blanket these two little kittens and I was just like what's happening here I've no idea and I remember then just holding them to my chest and their big amber eyes just looking and it's like they kind of looked in my eyes and said you know please look after us and I just fell in love with them like who wouldn't they were just the most fluffy loveliest little kittens ever it took me a while to decide their names but they ended up being called Princess Raisin and Princess Sultana they're both kind of like Sultana brown and dark raisin um, and yeah I just fell in love with them they were like my children and I think what is really funny is that nobody ever told me that my cats would lead me to my biggest career success. That relationship, very sadly, sort of fell apart and obviously the cats were coming with me. And it was then that the recession had really, really hit. So with personal training, there was like hardly anyone could afford personal training and I'd had an idea of a book a book had been written but I wasn't making any money from the book because the publishers were making all the money I was uh, ripped off a lot I have to say and it was getting to a point where I was then really struggling to pay my rent I didn't know what to do I remember speaking to a friend and they said you you're gonna have to give up the cats because to rent somewhere where I could afford to rent that would accept animals as well was just out of the question and I remember then phoning up the cat protection and I remember it was just so painful doing it because it was like I'd had them for years then they were like children to me they were my absolute world and I spoke to this lovely lady and she said to me we will find you the best home for them they will be so loved and and it was like I don't want to let go of them but I've got nowhere to live. I'm going to be homeless. I literally don't know what to do. And she'd taken my address, had arranged to come round the following morning. And I remember that night sobbing hysterically, not sleeping. And I kind of felt it was like the grief of like losing Mike. I was anticipating this is what I'm going to be going through again. That morning, I remember just waking up and I phoned the cat protection. I phoned the people and I just said, can I just ask, will I be able to go and visit the cats where they're going? And she said, unfortunately, she said, we will not be able to tell you. You won't ever be able to have contact with them again. And that was it. I said, you can't take them. I'm cancelling. Please don't come. They're staying with me. And that day I got up, I got dressed and I drove around. I drove to several different catteries and I found the most amazing cattery, which ended up being at the top of Rygate Hill. And this woman was amazing. I broke down in tears. I said, I can't. These are my children. I can't get rid of them. Do you do long-term boarding? Can I have a look? And she said, I will help you.
So once I'd found somewhere for the cats, I knew the cats were going to be safe. It was then, okay, I can live anywhere. I'm not bothered about where I live. I rented a room. It was just like living in a little room underneath a staircase and I didn't need anything. All I needed then was a computer and I was just going to learn how to build a website, how then to create video content, write eBooks, do literally everything. And it was like I'd hit rock bottom and I just thought now I'm going to fight. I'm going to do everything in my power like I have done before. And I would work from six in the morning till half past 11 at night, nonstop. I didn't have any internet, so I would have to do the video on my phone and they were very basic. I couldn't even afford tripods, so I'd use cereal boxes as, you know, stands to balance my phone on. And then I would go to a, a little cafe that had the internet. So I'd buy a latte, which would last me probably about three hours because it would be so slow to load up the videos, but I would do it every single day. This is my 500 rep workout. It's so easy to do. It simply is five different exercises that you do 20 repetitions of. You know, eventually then I was starting to earn an income from this and I carried on doing that. And then eventually I was able to then find my dream place where I could have my cats with me. The cats ended up staying in the cattery for just over a year. And I remember that day just going and picking them up, their cat boxes in the car and just looking at them and those big eyes and just saying, I'm taking you home was just like the best feeling, just wonderful. And I think also my favourite was waking up in the morning. Normally I jump out of bed, I'm up early, but that morning I just lay there with them walking all over the pillows, just crying. It was just magical. It was just, oh, I couldn't cuddle them enough. I had everything I wanted there. So now, now the cat's 10 years old, Princess Rose and Princess Sultana, and they are very funny. They, um are real characters. So Princess Raisin is definitely the bossy one, the greedy one. Sultana is the one that's always cleaning her and Princess Raisin always steals all her food. Um, but they are great characters. Princess Raisin will often appear within a YouTube video just running in and out. And actually it's funny because my, my followers, they love it. And um, yeah, I'd be lost without them. So now, years on, I've been able to build up a really successful YouTube channel. I have over 1.3 and a half million followers. One of my videos has been um, viewed over 66 million times. And, you know, that's my biggest reward. It's not really about the followers. It's just about the fact that I'm helping millions of people worldwide. I think the only thing I would have done differently is I wish I'd done it years and years before. But actually, I'm really grateful to every, every failure, every knockback, every rejection. Because in truth be told, that is what has driven me to become the person I am today. So I think the thing that I've learned the most is never doubt what you are capable of doing. And I now realise that confidence is the thing that we can all have. And once I started believing in myself, once I started realising that I was capable 
of achieving anything I wanted. There was no stopping me. And that is something that I really want to project to everyone and tell people if you have determination, if you have discipline, if you have confidence, you can literally move mountains. And I think the biggest thing that I learned for me was that knowledge is power. You know, just teach yourself. If you don't know the way, find a way. Just never back down. You can be that person you want to be. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. I'm your host, Lisa Smazarski, and you've been listening to the story of Lucy Wyndham Reed. I first met Lucy in Stylus HQ. We were sat in a meeting room named after another strong woman, Emmeline Pankhurst, and that was where she told me her story for the first time. I sat in silence for 30 minutes as she shared each of the hurdles she had encountered in life and how she'd grown from each of those experiences. Now, Any one of those events in isolation is enough to floor the strongest of us. But in a really gentle way, she told me a story about tenacity, perseverance and strength in the face of adversity. I was really struck, not just by the casual way that she was telling me about these challenging moments, but how she'd coped. And then on finally reaching success, how she'd made decisions to turn down money that conflicted with her values or her mission to make fitness accessible to everyone. That bullying she'd experienced at such a young age was always ringing in her ears. Her strength of character is a lesson to all of us. Let your behaviour be guided by your values. When she was talking to me, I felt this unbelievable, overwhelming combination of sadness that life had thrown her just so many tough hands, as it often seems to do. But that was balanced by this awe and respect. This was a woman who, when life seemed to be telling her to give up, made a decision to turn her life around and actually did it. When faced with similar challenges, we can't all know that we'll be able to do the same. But she is proof that when you find a way to grow from failure, misfortune or the cruelty of others, you can grow. You can blossom, you can discover strengths you didn't know you had. Lucy is proof that with a plan, desire and for her that was to save her cats and let's be honest a whole lot of hard work you can achieve brilliant things even if the world seems to be against you but most of all Lucy's story is one that teaches us that we never know what lies around the corner now some people call it fate or destiny others chance or good or bad luck but none of us know what is coming What matters is what we take from those challenges to take us on to the next chapter. To follow Lucy's story further, you can follow her on Instagram or at YouTube or at lwrfitness.com. If you have a story and the lessons you learn from it that you want to share in a further episode of Nobody Told Me or know someone else whose story we should share, email ntm at stylist.co.uk or leave a comment in the podcast store. For more inspiring stories from women around the world, visit stylist.co.uk. Thank you for listening to Nobody Told Me.